Hello guys, welcome to the show. Got a real treat now. He's just corrected me as the only player to have ever played in the eight leagues in England, the top eight leagues, in ascending order, uh, ending up with Burnley in the Premier League. Also a hero at my local club now, Cheltenham Town, for scoring the goal that got them into the Football League in 1999, 20 years ago. He's now back as a manager, it is the one and only Michael Duff, who's the brother, the older brother of Shane Duff, who's been on the, the podcast as well. Not to be confused with Shane Duffy, who people thought it was the Brighton, Brighton centre half. Michael, how are you doing? You're well. You've, you've been busy with admin. You've been texting me the past couple of weeks trying to meet up, and it's uh, been a lot of work trying to sign some players and get a squad together. Yeah, it's, well, you know, it's not straightforward. It's not, uh, it's not all right, I'll book that meeting at three o'clock. <laughs> a couple of times we've had things booked in and obviously you get an opportunity to meet a player so first things first the players come first so it is it's been a long time doing trying to get this together yeah it's been great it's great to come. I really appreciate the time because I think you know this podcast has started to try and understand sport and life what connects us what we get from sport the differences of the elite level perhaps the, those of us who are amateur participants but you've I guess got a pretty unique insight haven't you because I was looking at checking all the Wikipedia stuff Carterton Town in Oxfordshire get picked up by Cheltenham Town and then you play here for a few years, get up to the Football League, score the winning goal. And then in your mid-twenties, you get the opportunity to go up to Burnley and then that ends up with a couple of stints in the, in the Premier League, the big time, a real glamorous sort of crescendo in the league. What, what a life. What, what have you made of it all? Uh, yeah, it was interesting. Um, yeah. I think I did it the right way around. If you could do it the right way around, I might have earned money, more money going the other way around. But um, it started even before then. I got released at 14, 15 and 17 for being too small, ironically. Really? Um, it's got a big guy now. It yeah, 6'2". Yeah. yeah, 16, I think 16. I'd have been 5 foot 7 and about 7 or 8 stone wet through. But I just, at that point, I had a real spurt. Yeah. Um, and back then, that was back in the days where they didn't have the, the sports science where you predicted heights Do and they weights. they test and, kids now? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah they, can, they, they get it to within half an inch now at the age of... 10 and 11 mm. so you could be the best goalkeeper in the world at 11 but they could predict that your height's going to be 5 foot 9 mm. so they'll try and move your position at 11 rather yeah. than investing 7 years of your time <laughs> and their time that to Bartes maybe <laughs> they yeah. got cut through there which is, which is obviously it's money but you, they might be able to find you a different position because if you've got some sort of athletic football yeah. ability then, and that happens quite a lot uh, but they didn't have that so obviously I found ended up at Cheltenham Town got offered a trial and the long, long and the short of it was I wasn't a very good player, but I was determined and had a good mindset uh, and a resilience as well. Yeah. So that that got me through everything, really. And you moved around a bit as a kid talking to your brother, didn't you, with the, I think the Americans would say military brats or whatever, but you moved around with the, yeah, the, the dad, dad and the, the Air Force. Did that help kind of build a resilience, moving to different schools, things like that? Probably. I didn't think of it at the time, but it probably does. You know, I, think, I, I think I went to six primary schools. Yeah. Um, so it's just a case of no point, just get on with it. Yeah. No point, mate, it's happened. <laughs> You've moved. You're in a different country, so you've got to make friends. You've got you've just got to crack on, and it's the same with football. When someone shuts a door, right, I'm going to work hard to try and find another door that's open. Yeah, and just keep moving from one to the other. And it wasn't it wasn't all plays, plain sailing. You know, there's been a couple of relegations in there. There was a long term injury in the middle of it as well. But was that 2007, 2008? Was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd done my knee. Got told I was finished. Um, wow. Got a little bit of luck, but. Um, it made me appreciate I was 30 at the time. So that made me appreciate of what I had been doing. Sometimes you do take it for granted as a footballer. Yeah. It, it does become a job. Sometimes people don't see that. They they think they, they just see all the glamorous side. Mm. They see the people on the TV. But 
particularly at lower level football, it is it is a it is a grind, and you're doing it for not a lot of money. Yeah, but it's something that you do. And how, how did you adjust to the pressure of the expectancy of of the quality going up as you went up the leagues? Did you notice a big golf in quality, or was it just a sense of doing your job well and even more efficiently as you went up? I think I was lucky because as I got better, the levels that I was playing at got better, so it sort of went hand in hand. Yeah. I didn't go from the conference to the Premier League where I went, whoa. Because Cheltenham were non-league when you started. They'd never been in the Football League, is that no, right? No, so a lot of it is timing. I, I went to a club at 17 that were on the up. Mm. So they went from the Dr. Martin's Premier League into League One. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I did that with them as well. So as I was getting older and So better, that four divisions? Uh, uh, no, three divisions. Three divisions, yeah. Um, but, or three promotions. But the the... The players were getting better as I was getting better, like I said. So there was there was no real massive jump. Yeah. Um, the only real jump I had was League Two to the Championship when I was twenty six. But yeah, even that was. You're the same manager, didn't you? Is that right? Is it... Yeah, Steve yeah. Cottrell. He was the one that um, we got all the yeah. all the success with Cheltenham Town. Um, then he left quite rightly as well because he'd probably done everything he could with the team. I had a couple more years, I'd, I'd, and I'd had loads of interest from the age of about nineteen supposed to go here, there and everywhere and it never really came f- through so when I got to 26 I, I think it was close to 400 games You were a Northern Ireland international should I mention that that was before you moved was it? Were you, yeah, were yeah. You already at um, That was under Sammy McElroy so I didn't think that would come about playing in League 2 um, but got the opportunity I was born in Belfast my mum's from Belfast mm. uh, so I wasn't a plastic paddy you know? <laughs> so that's why I used to always get the stick but, and my dad's from Dublin so like the England I'm, cricket team well, I'm, actually, I'm actually 100% Irish believe it or not yeah um, so, yeah, that, that came about as well. And then getting to 26, thinking, I don't think I'll ever get a chance to play higher, but Steve Cotter went to Burnley, yep. took me there as a punt, and he'll tell you, I think he put it in the press at the time as a calculated risk. But he'd been with you a few years, by the yeah, way, five he, years. He knew so the forth. personality yeah. and the, the mentality, and I think he thought I might be able to drive myself yeah. to be able to do to, to make, make it. Uh, and I always get sick now, because they pay 30 grand. They pay 30 <laughs> grand in... Uh, Great I'm, value. Well, I end up playing... I think it was 12, 13 years there, three promotions and 400 games. So I think it was proved good value for money in the end. It's funny we had Shane on as well, because I'm one of three, one of four brothers, sorry, the oldest of four. What was it like playing with your, your brother and having that, that competitive element, the comparison element? I suppose the element to try and look after him as well. It must have been a strange experience for you as a young, young man. Um, I never really saw him as my brother, if that mate. He was just one of the lads. <laughs> so. Yeah. Was he a rival to get the team then, or was it? No, I was always yeah. ahead of him. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he, he was obviously younger, four or five years younger than me, so I was well established in the team. It's quite a good good gap, that isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because there wasn't too much, but we were different types of players anyway. Yeah, um, his nickname was Munch because he would head it and kick it, and he'd run through a wall. <laughs> so if there's anything in the air that I thought he can head that, he went and edited it. But it was it was great for me, mum and dad, more than anything, because. Shane was a young player coming through and he didn't get many opportunities, but then there was one year where we played centre-half together yeah. for a full season. So what was that like? That, that was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, again, at the time, you probably don't rec- realise it because I didn't see him as Art's my brother. Yeah. It was, he was literally... Do you, sort of, do you go over harsh on him and remonstrate with him more or do you sort of under, you know, no, sell I, it? I, I used to moan a yeah. lot to, yeah. to everybody and anyone that would <laughs> listen. So, But looking back now, you know, it must have been brilliant for my mum and dad because... Yeah, they get the two sons. My sister, she was quite sporty at the time as well. But they, just, they and they, they always have done. They'd always followed us around the country, um, giving us support. And even now, you know, it's it's a different as management. 
did exactly they're doing exactly the same now they're following Cheltenham Town around the country again it's almost gone full circle because <laughs> they're from pretty local well not from as you mentioned from from Ireland but they live uh, what Burford way is yeah, it yeah that's yeah. right yeah so Oxfordshire yeah they um yeah so, so they are local so when we were playing at I was at Burnley he was at Cheltenham it worked better for them really because they could pick whoever was closest <laughs> yeah so if, if we had an away game I don't know playing Reading or QPR or something like that, and Bur- uh, Cheltenham are away. Then they pick the local games. So. <laughs> uh, no, they. I think they. They were proud of what what we'd both done. Yeah, did you see? Because Shane talked about. Um, I think any of us that have played sport, particularly that teenage years when you're trying to make it or not make it, and you get scouted or not scouted. He talked about. He felt that he came to a point. I think where they scrapped the youth system or something, or the the academy at Cheltenham, and he said there's only a few players going to be kept on. And he made a conscious decision to not hide anymore. He realised that he'd been hiding a little bit and went after the ball, went to get involved more. Did you see that in him? Because he said, it, he, said he, he made a decision and people noticed after many months, maybe over a year, that he had changed and become a better player. I think probably himself, he was probably playing within himself because of me. Mm. Like, there's probably pressure within itself because yeah. he was expected to be, at the time, as good as me. Or you'll be as good as him. Yeah. So I think... But there was one year when he came back and he, he went in the gym and he came back massive. And the thing that got him a notice really was when we did set plays on a Friday before a game, he would always be on the opposition. Yeah. You know, you're just mocking up who you're going to be playing and things like that. And whatever corner put in, for about four months in a row, he absolutely headed everything. Really? And on a Friday, the, te- the team that are starting the next day don't really want to put their no. head in because they don't want to get injured. Yeah. But he made a conscious point of he was heading everything away, he was kicking everything away. And all some people you know, raise their eyebrows as if to say, "Oh, I'll tell you what, yeah, might be it takes a few here. months, doesn't it, to stand out?" Yeah. yeah, and then obviously he got a little bit of belief within that, and players started saying, "By the way, if you keep doing that, if you keep doing that," and he took it on and took it on, and similar to me really, because he wasn't a great player, mm. but I think we both come from. Well, we obviously come from the same stock, but we have both got that determination, resilience to just make the best of what you've got. Yeah. And what, how did you do, find it in Burnley in the, in the Championship? That step up. Did you find the players quicker, athletic, more athletic? Well, it was quite daunting when I first went in because I lived in a I went up uh, stayed in a hotel for three months and I was living with Frank Sinclair uh, Danny Coyne and John McGreal wow now Frank had obviously had a career at Chelsea and yeah. the Lamanga thing had only just happened in oh, Cutler, yeah. so that was quite popular at the time well not popular but prominent John McGreal had played in Europe with Ipswich mm. um, Danny Coyne he was uh, he'd come from Leicester as well and he was on the Lamanga trip so I'm I've come from little old Cheltenham all of a sudden <laughs> I've been living in a hotel with these three, and there were three great blokes. And John McGreal particularly was probably one of the reasons why I did make it at that level because just the constant little, similar to what I was saying about my brother, yeah. keep doing that, that'll work, keep doing this, don't spend your money on that, do this, little little, yeah. little nuggets. And did you appreciate the money side of it? You must have, the way it incremented step up, step up for you, you must have had an appreciation as the money went up, not to just maybe blow it in some ways that a 17-year-old might... Well, actually, I went for £100 a week more than what was on in League Two. <laughs> really? Yeah, so it was the, it was the, it, I didn't, definitely didn't go for the money. It was an opportunity. Yeah. Like I said, I was 26 and I thought I'd missed the boat. So, Cotts managed to... He's, he thought he'd done me a favour. He got me an extra £100 a week. So. <laughs> but after a certain amount of games... Was that, it a longer contract, though? Because League Two's typically one year, two years. Was it, uh, they give him a bit more no, security? No, I signed a three-year contract. OK, yeah. On, and then on appearances, it, I, after a certain amount of appearances, I got brought into line with what the middle of the road we're earning and then obviously as years go past you get a little bit older a little bit more experience you start moving but yeah. the money started going up the chain as well because we got had so many promotions yeah to the Premier League and then you get to the Premier League I mean what was, you just had it was after the injury wasn't it so what was yeah. that like to sort of come through the injury 
maybe fear your career's in doubt and then play in the big time. And were you involved in the Man United game? You beat beat Man United. No, something? I uh, I was ironic. I was injured. So <laughs> I, 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 I did I did my knee when I was twenty nine. Yeah. Um, but I three year, I just signed a new contract for three years. Yeah. So long story short. I went for a tackle. It was my hyperextended. I basically pulled everything off my knee. I did my cruciate, hamstring tendon, lateral ligament, capsule, burst it all, just through a hyperextension. So I went into the surgeon on the Monday morning. He, he held the scan up. <laughs> well, his exact words were, look at the fucking state of that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. they're not the words you want to be hearing. Yeah. But um, I went in for the first operation. I was in a cast for three months. I went in for the second operation. I didn't need it. So... Oh, okay. That's good so news. I didn't actually need the cruciate because I'd not snapped them. I'd pulled them all off the bone, so it it sort of reattached itself somewhere. Yeah. Um, but he said, "Look, I've put six weeks onto a career-ending, potentially career-ending injury." And because of the way he spoke to me in the first meeting, I knew he was telling the truth because yeah. he was just a proper northerner. <laughs> Tell it like it is. Yeah. But but during that process, it allowed me to get on the coaching ladder because it was like, "Well, what am I going to do? Yeah, I've got no qualifications." I'm 30 years old because whilst I was injured, I, I turned 30. Yep. Football's all I know. Yeah. So it, Did you have I, any thoughts about anything outside, like another I, career? I'd never thought about anything else. Yeah. Now, I remember players being my age going, get your, get your coaching badges, do this. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But that was a real shock moment. And ironically, it's the best thing that ever happened to me mm. because then I appreciated football, so I looked after myself even better. Yeah. Became a better pro. And then I started getting on, doing my coaching badges, and then I started studying managers. And luckily for me, the last two managers I played under were Eddie Howe and Sean Dyche. Yeah. So they're not too bad ones to, to especially at that. Yeah, end. Eddie had a pretty brief time in Burnley, didn't he? Uh, about Tom... eighteen months, I think oh, okay, he was there. Yeah. But he, um, but it's quite long by football management. Yeah. Time. <laughs> but to learn and 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 school myself on what works, how how to present, what sessions work, what sessions don't work. If I was younger, I wouldn't have appreciated what was in front of me. Yeah. Um, but to go back to your original point of to play at Wembley in the playoff final, and like I said, to get it took me a long time. It took me to thirty thirty one to get the opportunity to get to the big league. Yeah, um, and if to play in front of ninety thousand, it was it was amazing. It was, and it was it wasn't a great game, but it was a hell of a night. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, now. I bet it was. Yeah. yeah, I bet it was. That kind of probably the sports science element changed as well. What what was it like playing in the Premier League then to go up there? Was it? Just football when you realised, does it kind of normalise when you got there or was it, there was, was it a huge, huge difference? I think, no, it was, it was the first time it was a huge difference because we were little old Burnley at the time. Yeah. And we were unfancy. It's under Owen Coyle. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, I mean, we didn't have any money but, and, and it, that was a real sort of, oh, you're looking at the fixture list and it's mm. almost like rubbing your eyes in disbelief. It's like, where are we going to win again? <laughs> and it ended up being a little bit like that. But no, we, st- we started, like a, a, started like a train but I think... The second time, it was a lot. You were more accustomed to playing against bigger players, used to playing in front of the bigger stadiums. Yeah. And but that first time round, there wasn't many of us that had played in the Premier League, so it was a real, it wasn't an eye opener. The quality was it was completely different. Like we, you come you come out of a game, mm. and you go, we've played really well there. How do you get on? We lost two 0 and yeah. then you start to scratch your head. It's right, because they used to let you have the ball. Yeah, they let you have the ball. You open up. Yeah, they pinch it. 
goal. Well, that's interesting looking up is the comparison between the lower leagues and non-league is that there's no time on the ball because everyone gets rushed all the time. Whereas at Premier League, they sort of almost do give you that false sense of security, don't they, I suppose? Yeah, it's, it's more attritional at the yeah. bottom. You know, it is the, sometimes the ball comes off and it's black and blue. It needs to go in an ice pack. <laughs> Whereas in the Premier League, obviously the pitches are fantastic. But yeah. The players, and it is a little bit slower, but it goes slow, 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 quick, quick goal. Yeah. One mistake, goal. Yeah, whereas so it's mental concentration is big. Exactly that. So, like I said, quite often uh, we come off the pitch and we thought we played really well, but you'd, you'd you'd lost inevitably all the time. Yeah. So that that that's difficult to take because it's well, I'm going to say we're playing well and we're getting beat. What happens when we don't play well? And as the season goes on, which is what you find with teams who do start struggling, you get the new the burst, which we I think we won our first four or five home games. Yeah. So we real carried the momentum from the promotion. But then it's, it becomes a bit more attritional because the winter sets in and you start getting a few injuries and you can't play well every week. And then it becomes demoralising because you're playing well and getting beat. And, yeah. it's there, and then it's like, well, there's nothing we can do here. We're not good enough. Yeah. And then you get that doubt. Yeah. And, and, and that's the bit that's difficult. And then you see teams like Huddersfield last season, for example. I'd imagine that's what's happening. Because you rely on psychology and momentum and positivity to, to have a chance against guys that may be technically better think, at football. Well, I think that's what got us promoted. Yeah. No disrespect to Owen Coyle, he's, he was a motivator. Mm. Um, he got a good set of lads, um, an older set of lads who, who managed the dressing room for him and he was brilliant at motivating people. But it's hard to motivate people when you're getting beat every week. Yeah. Because it's like, come on, you're up and at them. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but you said that last week and we got beat. Yeah. And... and and it's hard to, once you slip into that sort of cycle, it's hard to, to turn that around. So what does Sean Dyche do then? Because he's obviously had two spells in the Premier League, Burnley established, got to Europe, um, and then recovered last season as well to, to finish strongly. What was, what was it like working under him? Because he presumably combined that morale building with a solid sort of technical approach as well. He built good foundations. First and foremost, he wanted good people. Mm. So I think the best compliment you can... The best thing that he does... I, I still speak to him a lot, but it's, it's, he de-bullshits footballers, which mm. is not an easy thing to do. And it's a bit of a weird thing to say, but there's professional Premier League players particularly, they carry so much baggage now Yeah, with agents and social media and supporters telling them how great they are <laughs> and then their mates telling them how great so they are. So it's ego managing. Well, yeah. yeah. And he, he, he tells everyone, look, we've all got one, but when you come into work, this is the way we are. Mm. This is what we do. So... For example, when you see Burnley walking on Sky and you see them walking in the tunnel, yeah, you'll never see anyone with a baseball cap on. You'll never see anyone with their earphones on. Yeah, you never see anyone with the tracksuits rolled up, because it's like we're a team, and it's not that they don't. You can wear headphones, but they take them off, they hold them in the hand, and they put them back on in the dressing room. Yeah, because when look like a team, so it's not about you looking cool or you doing this. It's like, <laughs> and it's little things like that yeah. that. And because that's presumably that team ethic is more integral again for for Burnley, who are obviously more established now. The, the finances will be growing as they, as they spend longer in the Premier League with budgets for players. But it's that thing that we can beat them by being a more of a team than they are, if, even if they have you know superior individuals on on paper. Yeah, well, that's that's what got them. That's what got us promoted. Well, twice with him. Mm. You know, we got promoted, got relegated. The club stuck with him because they could see he was doing the right things, which some people don't get an opportunity as soon as you get relegated that's it even though you got them promoted <laughs> but it doesn't always happen that quickly that we bounce straight back again yeah but it was all the foundations win lose or draw the same things were expected of you so when you're good great but when you're bad you can still work hard 
What, what would he do if he went to it? Could you ever imagine Sean Dyche as a, as a sort of top three manager at, at Manchester City with, with guys on millions of pounds? How do you think he'd handle the situation? We, we talked about actually before Guardiola was maybe a little more like that as well, potentially. Well, it, it's will he ever get the opportunity? Yeah. Because people have labelled him this, but what he keeps doing is he keeps overachieving. Yeah. By hook or by crook, you're overachieving. So <laughs> giving better players, I'm sure he'd play a different yeah. way. Well, what, what, what are we talking about that? I meant more about the managing the ego side of it. Would he would he be able to do that in that in that arena? Do you think would he try and sort of do that? Yeah, would he, he manage so. it differently? I think yeah. he's only asking people to be good people. Yeah, he's only asking to you know don't don't make it all about you. It's it, it, we, we are a team. You're representing the football club, so just buy into a togetherness. Yeah, and is it a fine line between not between stripping away the the rubbish from people, but maybe not kind of breaking them as well too much is that is that a fine line particularly with young players I'd imagine I don't know um, if you if you sort of strip them down too much maybe they'll kind of lose their lose their confidence because you have to have a lot of confidence to be a an elite elite player don't you I don't think it's not dictatorial mm. it's not like you must do it like this there's a culture set of the club yeah so when you come in silly little things like for example uh sometimes there's a river that runs through the middle of the training ground at Burnley yeah and sometimes on a five side on a Friday the losing team gets in the river <laughs> now a lot of football clubs you get players I ain't doing that. Load of non- what we're we doing that for? What we do? That's not making me a footballer. Yeah. But it's just get on with it. Everyone else is doing it. Just get on with it. And yeah. It, it's, it's making you a person. Yeah. Human being. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, we're all footballers, but you're no, you're no better than you're no better than anyone else. Yeah. So, just because you're on a hundred grand a week, speak to the cleaner the same way you speak to the chairman. Mm-hmm. Just be a good person. Yeah. Uh, earning that volume of money doesn't make you. You, you can speak to certain people different ways. Which means if it all falls apart and you get an injury, like you got close to and your brother experienced as well, his career ended prematurely in the M3 injury, that you can then adapt to the, the real world when in, even when you need to. I think it gets you a long way in any walk of life. Yeah. I think it's... Uh, well, we come from a military, military background, so it's all been instilled into me, my brother. Team player. Uh, Daichi talks about where he came from. His dad was a working-class man, and it's, like you say... Just be a normal bloke. Just because yeah. you are the, a footballer earning, you're in a privileged position. So it's it doesn't give you a license to start being a dickhead. Basically, <laughs> you re, you know you talk about the All Blacks and any walk like any sort of business, any sort of team. The All Blacks, you read the book Legacy. Yeah, and it's no, yeah, it's, it's no dickheads. It's yeah. the same thing, but at the very yeah. end of it, the, the strap line is. No dickheads. Yeah, and it's, but it's not that easy to get everyone's nose pointing in the same. And also, direction. when there's a compulsion to win, there's always that pressure to to afford the kind of idiosyncratic guy or the ego guy. And I suppose it's working out whether you're someone like Ferguson. He managed to work out that maybe Cantona wasn't all that bad, and he got the most out of him. And then it, it set in stone the whole Manchester United success story. Mm. But then there were people that at Manchester United he'd ship out because he obviously there was a fine line, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, uh, you talk about Cantona. You hear stories about he was this enigmatic figure. Yeah. But apparently he was brilliant around the training ground. Yeah, we tra- trained all day, didn't he, apparently? Yeah. And he was he, brilliant with the young lads. Yeah. So he, was, he had this aura about him and this, like you say, but he was good in the yeah. dressing room. He wasn't, he, he didn't poison the dressing room. He didn't, um, it wasn't all about him all the time. Like you said, he, the younger players, the, the class of 92, they, I've read stories about what, what he did for them and how he, how he made them better, how he egged them on, and yeah. So he was he was helping all the time. He wasn't the, he wasn't the poisonous apple. No. So that that's getting the balance of getting the right one of those. Yeah. No, don't you, you don't want you don't want robots. You do no. want personality. It's not, it's getting the balance of the two. It's like you can have have your life. You know, go go away go away from the training ground and do do what you want to do. Yeah. But when you're in work, you're working hard. Work hard, and, we, and in in the same way. What's the social side like? Because you came up through. 
playing for Carterton Town in Oxfordshire, then Cheltenham Town, non-league at the time, obviously big Saturday night out as part of the culture. Was it still there in Burnley in the Premier League, have a few beers, or was it all sports science kind of, you know, rehydration and massages and, uh, it's, and it's, early nights? It's different. The, the, my time at Burnley, was a, that was the crossover between the old and the new, really. The, yeah. the, the Owen Coyle team, there was a, not a drinking culture, but the, the lads went out a lot with each other. Yeah. Um, which has its positives, doesn't it? it was, well, yeah, that was building. probably just before the social media sort of things came in. Yeah. So the lads enjoyed each other's companies. The wives went out. There was a 10-year anniversary thing the other day, and loads of people came back from overseas, Canada, Norway. I can't believe it's 10 years ago. It's amazing, yeah. Um, whereas now, it's slightly different as regards to... If I walked into one of my dressing rooms tomorrow morning when the players were... You can guarantee they'll all be sat on the phone. No one will be talking to each other. Mm. So it, Which is it, a cultural thing as well. Exactly, like yeah. That, yeah. Young people, I've got two kids. Yeah. You can't get them out of the screens. Yeah. It's like, we're sat at the table now. Now, they're not allowed them, but they were quite... sport comes in even more so, I suppose, now. Yeah, because yeah. well, get, get, get kids out. But um, as time went on, as the money went up, you know, you do get the Christmas party when you, it's, you go into a nightclub and you're paying £6,000 for a table and you, you think wow. about it and you're like... In Burnley? No, we never. Yeah. <laughs> you don't I'm go out in Burnley. Burnley. Play for see. Burnley. Don't go out in yeah. Burnley. Yeah. But the um, the, the, but that's and this is smaller. This is when now the money's gone gone again. I've retired three years ago, and the money's gone even more. So it's yeah. gone boom. But and that's where it starts getting dangerous because that's not real life. No. And you wonder whether the bubble will continue. Because obviously, I work for Sky, and you wonder if a will be able to pay that much because it's all based on subscription fees and whether whether clubs are over overextending themselves and players overextending themselves as well. You say like young kids who have that big income but maybe have to drop down a few divisions and then I think um, you be, it's amazing how many players do go bust when you look at the money that they've earned mm. um, because you think it'll last forever Yeah, I think what we talked about earlier is the difficult one is the the younger players coming through the big clubs who are earning you know, tens of thousands of pounds at 18, 19 mm. and it's a all week off, that is yeah, a yeah. week yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go so, 10 grand um, and the ones that go on to make it and go on and on and on and on. It's great because you know Marcus Rashford. He's got he'll earn hundred, two hundred thousand sure. pounds a week for the rest of his life. So it's not a problem. But it's the one that doesn't quite make it. Mm. And he's on, for example, let's say he's on ten thousand pound at eighteen years old. And when he's twenty one, no one wants him. Yeah. And then he's he's scratching around in non league, and the the standard of football is different, and he's not getting the money. Yeah. And doesn't get any time on the ball. Exactly. And then they sometimes they really struggle. And they go straight through the system. And that's the tough one because they've earned really good money, but they've not looked after it. Yeah. And sometimes a lot of footballers don't come from great backgrounds as regards to, you know, they, they come from working class areas where all of a sudden it's, well, I've got all this money and all of a sudden <laughs> you've got all these friends as well. But they disappear just as quickly as the money does a lot of the time. Speaking of money, how are you finding it? Because you, had the, you came in in September last year, steered Cheltenham to safety, 16th in the division. Presumably that was similar to the, the Burnley role you had after you finished playing coaching because you, it's about motivation, about organisation, but maybe now it's the first time you've had to do the full logistical side of, of being a manager. Have you, have you found all that and juggling your players and contracts and getting yeah, that, people in, getting people out? That was the, that was the, that was the new part of it. Of, um that's the, for the two years before, I'd, I'd done all the coaching, and, and I still do a lot of the coaching now. That's the bit I enjoy. Yeah, but like you said, it's it's the other stuff. It's the it's the contract. Because this is different to the Premier League, isn't it? League Two level, yeah, you do well, everything. Every, yeah, literally. Yeah, every penny counts. Yeah. So there's me, there's the assistant manager, and there's Mickey Moore, head of recruitment, and between us, you're doing. You know, we, we've just literally just been counting pennies. Has your there. assistant been climbing, climbing the Alps or something? Was he Russell? Yeah, him, right, Russell uh, yeah, that's it. Russ, uh, <laughs> Russ, Gav, and the under 18s. So they deserted you. <laughs> they, uh, they, they've been up the Dolomites. Oh, wow. Um, they tried to get, rope me into it, but I was. 
Too much to do. I was, no, I was having too many beers in Madrid. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you are literally counting every penny. Then it's right. If he, he's on X amount, and then you've got your national insurance. You have to factor all that, and then he wants a, a three thousand pound relocation fee, and his agent wants a five percent of this. And it's yeah. you're literally counting every penny. And you have much have sympathy and empathy for these guys as well, particularly if they are with a family or whatever, because it's a tough life. I don't know if you've read Ben Smith's journeyman book, and he played at Hereford Crawley. Um, I think he had talked with Martin Allen at Cheltenham actually and didn't end up coming at that time. <laughs> yeah, he sort of uh, ended up not working out. But he um, he talked about that moving around all the time at a house in Weymouth but never lived there because it's one year, two year contract. Mm-hmm. So you, I suppose you have the empathy for them as well that it's it's a big decision. You have to you know offer them, I guess, a, a dream as much as the, the financial side of it. I think it is a nomadic life, nomadic life at, at this level. Yeah. People don't, the most you'll sign at this level is a two year contract and you're yeah. lucky if you get one of them. Which is why the turnover of players is so. Which is so why it's so hard to build a team mm. because most clubs give one year deals and if the player does really well he goes and if the player doesn't do really well. Why he do goes. they not give longer contracts? Is it just uncertainty over the finances? I, I think it's uncertainty over the finances. I think there's that many players that you don't want to commit to two years with one player. Yeah. So no one wants to commit. To, players don't want to commit to the club, and the club are reluctant to commit to the, the yeah, players because the players know if they do well for one year they'll go and then get a bigger club. Yeah. And, and, and it's the same with the. The clubs, it's like, well, if he does well, we'll give him another year. Yeah. But the players want security. so it, 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 And there's so many players swimming around at this level. With respect, there's loads of players for every position. Yeah. So it's not like the Premier League when they identify a, you know, De Litt at the minute, who's the, the, the yeah. big fancy thing. He, he's the centre-half that everyone wants. There isn't really that. So what scouting is the key then, is it, presumably? To, and then getting a vision in your head of, of the players and how they complement each other. I think scouting, recruitment's 70% of the job. Mm. You could be the best manager in the world, but if you haven't got the players good enough now, yeah, that's it, part of your job is bringing the right players in. We say it's quite hard picking them out at this level of of all the players out there to to identify how it would work. Well, there's 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 so many of it. It's up to, it's up to you to decide to do your background work and use all the contacts that you can on on personality and things like that. Because I'd rather have a good person and a decent footballer, yeah, than. A, decent, a, a good footballer. Because you're more likely to get consistent yeah. output, I suppose. Well, and I'd, I don't want a really good footballer who's a dick, basically. Mm. I'd rather work with it the other way around. Yeah. Because I think you can get more buy-in, I think you can get a more togetherness, and I think the group is always more powerful than the individual. Yeah. Whether that's a team, whether it's a back four. You know, I don't want a right-back who's going to just go and stand next to his uh, left-winger all day yeah. and give up his centre-half. I want, the, I want the back four well, to work as a unit. And as a young manager, do you have a philosophy? Because we were talking about Sean Dyche before about whether he'd adapt and how he'd how he'd play. And we we're talking about off air how speaking to Barry Cowan, who's a former tennis player, talking about why Roger Federer and all these guys who are well into their thirties are still dominating tennis. And he says it's because the younger guys are trying to imitate them rather than trying to do something different. And in football, it's quite often like that, isn't it? There's a style of play that's in vogue at the moment. It's short passing and a movement. But Sean seems to have adapted to find a counterpoint. Do you do you think at this level you have to just adapt to who you've got? Yeah, I, I found that on the job. Uh, I walked into the job with my own ideas, how I think, I'd, how I wanted to play. I had a vision of what I wanted to do. Nine games in, I've not won a game. <laughs> that was at the start of the last yeah, year. Yeah, I didn't yeah. win a game for nine yeah. games. So that in itself is, you know, some some managers would have got the bullet at that point. Yeah. So I've come from twenty. I've come from twenty threes football, never managed, can't win a game in the first nine games. I, people have gone. Yeah. But at that moment, it's like, right, we need to rip it up and start again here. So what have we got? So there, was, there was two or three big meetings where there was a, quite a few home truths with the staff and the players. Yeah. And I'm having it with myself, obviously. Did you get advice from someone external? Uh, no, that was, that was 
again, without I keep name checking, but he, he, Daichi rang me more than anyone during those probably ten weeks, eight weeks, I think it was. Yeah, because he knows. Yeah, um, and it, but it was more right. What have I got to do to make this work? Yeah, because it was, I came into the job on my own. I didn't come in with any staff, and I've walked into twenty nine players who I didn't know. So it was like, right, what do you think? What do, I asked the players, what do you think you are? Yeah. What do you think other people think you are? And then there was a few home truths. <laughs> I don't think you're that. So we ended up ripping it up. A few home truths, like I said, changed the formation. The formation worked, and then we we worked and built and grew and grew and grew. And like you said, we finished sixteenth in League Two. So most people on the outside will go, "Well, yeah. that's not great." But we were in the bottom two still in January, and I think it's the highest place we've finished for seven years. So ironically, <laughs> it was actually finished a good season. Yeah. So and we did play what? what you whatever you want to call good football as well. And Cheltenham have been up to League One in your time and not for a while now, but they obviously went down to the conference. Gary Johnson got them up again. What are the ambitions? Because I suppose that's part of it as well. We have these Cinderella dreams of of going and winning stuff at Wembley and winning trophies and getting to the Premier League. But for a club like Cheltenham with the demographics, I suppose unless you can create a bigger fan base, it's difficult, isn't it? How do you manage your ambitions and what do you talk about with the club about what the the goals the goals are? I think you've got to be realistic. Can you get Cheltenham Town into the Championship? Probably not. Hmm. But take it one step at a time. So we finished 16th last year. Can we improve on that? Yeah. First and foremost, can you get them into the League One? So John Ward got this club into League One and kept them there for a year. Now it's difficult to overachieve up year after year after year, yeah. but why not? Why can't you get them into League One? Yeah. And always trying to get more season ticket sales because I suppose the, the problem in this area has always been that it's a kind of rugby area. You've got Gloucester down the road and Bristol, Bath, all these these teams, and football's taken a backseat in Cheltenham specifically to, to racing and things, hasn't it? Yeah, well, you mentioned Cheltenham. To most people in the country, they're not going to start talking about the football club. No, they're going to start talking about the races yeah. and obviously Gloucester down the road with the rugby. But that's never changed. So over the twenty years, the fan base has been pretty consistent. Yeah, good or bad which is good or bad. Because yeah. when, when you're not doing so well, they, they stay with you. But yeah. when we're doing really well, they don't they don't come back in their droves in their thousands. So I think we've sold 30% more season tickets than we did last year. So that's a positive. Yeah. So that's a start. So can we keep playing decent football? But the key is it's got to be winning football. Mm. You know, I'm not stupid enough to think that if I keep if I have 600 passes a game and keep losing every week... Because <laughs> I, I had that with Eddie Howe at Burnley. We, yeah. we, we, we kept the ball a lot, but the supporters got bored because it was football that was all around the back four and into midfield, then it's back around isn't it? the back it's like, well, four. Stoke, the opposite was at Stoke, where they established themselves as the top 10 Premier League team, and then the fans got bored of the, the style of play, but then they're now a championship yeah. team, so it's, it's difficult. It is. It's, it's, it's hard to satisfy everybody, keep, but the key is winning. Yeah. If you keep winning, people will, will suffer it. Yeah. Now, where we are, like you say, geographically, demographically, it's, it, we do want to try and play a style of football, because... We don't. It's not a football hotbed. Yeah. So you don't have die-hard supporters generally. You know, I've come from Burnley. Quite often, got a bigger team they support as well. A lot of the football yeah, guys, football we, fans around here. Well, a lot of the time we are the second tier, the Aston Villa and Cheltenham or, mm. or something like that. But when I, you come from Burnley, you don't see any Man United, mm. you don't see any Liverpool, Man City shirts. If you're from Burnley, you support Burnley no matter yeah. what. I've got I mean, a mate who lives in who lives in Malvern. His dad's from Burnley, and he goes up every other week. Still, he's got a kid, yeah, eight, it, eight month old kid. kid. It, it's literally bred into them. Yeah. It's. You know, there's there's eighty thousand people in the town, and there's twenty two thousand every home game. Amazing. So it gives you an idea of sort of the pull, that, and it is a real community. If you took the football club out of that community, it would 
wouldn't have a lot. I think that's a big selling point for Cheltenham as well because I said I played up the road at Malvern Town as a, as a teenager, never made it professional. But there's more similarities. I see that you know you walk in the smell of onions, the chips. You walk in and it's kind of like straight into the ground. You can come in at five to three. It's not like a Premier League club where it's a logistical effort. You have to park half a mile from the ground, a mile from the ground, walk in. There's that selling point, isn't there? Making it the heart of of a regular heartbeat of Cheltenham because you've got the racing, you've got the different festivals that happen, but they're sporadic. You've got this club every other every other week. It's about selling that. And football is is the is the country sport isn't it yeah I think it is a family club it, you know you can bring your kids you don't need to worry about people abusing people yeah. you know the foul language and, apart and from the old Glossico oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can it's the sort of club where you buy your season ticket and they've got a couple of seats next year but you do know the bloke a couple of seats down and it's, yeah. it's that it is that close togetherness it is a close knit town we are trying to make better links with the community um, actively trying to so you think more engagement, but because over the years, like go back to what we said a minute ago, the turnover of players has been so great. Yeah. That you can't get a connection between the supporters and the team because no one knows who's going to play. Yeah. Well, everyone knows Andy Tucker, who's the, obviously done the coaching schools around here. Everyone mentions him to me as the local football coach, and he's a former player who's yeah, started, had a business Tux. around here. Yeah, yeah I played with Tucks, but like <laughs> the like so, so uh, it's trying to so if you, it, I don't know if well Liverpool. Yeah. In the Champions League final, you'd probably be able to name eight or nine of their team. Yeah. Whereas in the years gone past here, you've not been able to because you never knew who was going to play because there was, the turnover of the players was so great yeah. all the time. So you, why are you going to buy a shirt with someone's name on the back if he might be gone in six months? Yeah. So we've tried to have a bit more continuity. And uh, have you found that with the maths and the, the sort of the whole balancing that continuity with well, budgets? And... That is the key, like you said, because they don't want to give two-year contracts out. Yeah. So it is it, it is difficult, but... From Christmas onwards last year, we were successful, so we didn't want to rip it up and start again. It took us a long time to find what yeah. worked. So you, you, you have got to tweak it. We offered contracts, people turned them down. Um, we lost out to, we have lost out on a couple of players that other people have paid more for. So, mm. like I said, it's 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 getting the right pieces for the jigsaw. Yeah, and you can't begrudge those players at that stage. I suppose getting a little bit more money if it, if it can help them as well. It's it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, it's all based on emotion as well, isn't it? I suppose you're dealing with this thing that managers have to deal with now of expectancy as well after a good run come into the season. Do, do you think about that as well and kind of not managing expectations, but how you respond to the fans kind of craving? Because when you when you come in when things are down, it's almost easier to go in one direction, isn't it? It's that's that is the tough bit because I think from Christmas onwards we were top eight form. Yeah. But we're still the crowds will still be in the bottom four or five, and the budget will probably still be in the bottom five or six. Yeah. But they're the facts. It's not. It's not me crying it in. <laughs> they, they are the facts. But that doesn't mean I don't think we can overachieve. Yeah. And we can go and do something with it. And that's what we we have to do. No matter what we do, we have to overachieve to stay in the league. So they're the facts. Deal with it, and the players get told the same thing. Yep. There's no point moaning. <laughs> Bradford City have just sold fifteen thousand season tickets. Yeah. We're not Bradford City. But it doesn't mean we can't go up there and beat them. It doesn't mean we can't finish higher than them in the league. If you get the right people, the right blend of players, a good work ethic, like going back to my very yeah. start, what I said about, about me, I wasn't a particularly good player, but I was determined and resilient and I was hardworking. But if I can get the players to do that, who can play a little bit as well, you never know where that's going to take you. No, what are your ambitions as well? Because it's a tricky one management, isn't it? Because the more ambitious you get, 
it becomes this sort of peripatetic job. You know, we mentioned Tony Pulitzer. I think he's lived on the South Coast, but he's been managing Middlesbrough recently and all over the country. And Harry Redknapp famously lives in Sandbanks and drives, gets up at four in the morning and drives to whichever club he's, he's at. It's never usually moves too far north. But, you know, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it, when you've got, when you're a family man as well, that you balance that. Well, how do you sort of manage your ambitions with the, the personal side of, of life as well? It's one I, I don't really talk about them a lot. Because if I'd, if I'd said to you when I was 17 or 18, I think I can play in the Premier League, you'd have laughed at me. But it was in my head. Yeah. Now, I did it step, step by step. And I was determined and I was hard work and I was prepared to live my life right. Yeah. And I was prepared to cut certain things out, like you said you maybe weren't. When yeah, you were yeah no, true, town, yeah, but yeah. Christmas Eve's when, or New Year's Eve's yeah. when yeah, I'm driving all my mates around because they're all like on the on the lash, doing mm. all this, whatever. I was prepared to, to give all that and sacrifice all that. So, again, with the management, I've got my own. It's all about the team. Yeah. If my team wins, we all win. The players get more bonuses, they finish higher in the league. Common goal, yeah. Yeah. And I and I look good. Yeah. So but it's not about me. I have my own ambitions, but I know that if I start looking over the fence going, I think I could do that, I think I could do that, I need to keep my own sure. counsel. So Cheltenham Town they have to keep winning for me to do well. And the job gets easier a little bit if you go higher at the pyramid as a manager, does it? Because you get to focus more on the football again, to a certain extent. Uh, it, or not. Or we get the press and stuff as well. Well, again, yeah. different problems. Yeah. You know, I've had, a, had to do something else earlier this morning. It is, it's, you talk about Jim Bentley at Morecambe who's getting yeah. kicked off a, an AstroTurf by a group of disabled kids. That wouldn't happen with Man City, but they have different problems. Yeah. So, you, like you say, I went in on my pro licence, we went into Man United okay. with uh, David Moyes and Steve Round were there at the time. Yeah. And Steve Round was, you know, was walking us through. And he said, we can't give these lads days off. Mm. And someone said, why not? He said, because they've got that much money. You give them a day off. They fly somewhere. On a Tuesday night, they disappear to Dubai on a private jet. And they come back Thursday morning. They're knackered. So we can't afford to do it. Wow. So it's a different type of problem. Yeah, Our yeah. lads get every Wednesday and every Sunday off, come what may. But you think, yeah, it's almost at the elite level now, a disparity between the authority that the manager has over the players, which is a problem really, isn't it? If, you're gonna, if, well, you if, you're, if your job's on the line, well, depending on what they do. I think Chelsea's the obvious one in recent times is yeah. when the players have decided they want someone out, they get him out. Yeah. And that is difficult because you've, you've got to manage the players so you can't pander to them. I'm guessing. I've, I've never yeah. worked at this level. But if they see it as a soft touch, they'll walk all over you. And it's so, also whether you get a fair crack of the whip to be evaluated, isn't it? But we, we wait, you know, in the media, I work in the media and people talk about good and bad managers, but we don't often know. It's only when it comes out like case studies of a long time, like Ferguson at United or Brian Clough at Forest, you hear the, the detail of what they've done, how they coach, why they were different, how they signed players, how they spoke to players. A lot of times we watch it from the outside and it's based on a, a few games, isn't it? Results which could be a, a referee's decision or a lucky bounce or just a bit of momentum. All that and as, as well as perception. Yeah. So... Arsene Wenger, people used to, or Svengor announced, used to moan that he just used to sit down. He wasn't passionate enough. <laughs> yeah. But then you get Paolo Di Canio. Oh, he was an idiot because he used to run up and down the touchdown. So yeah. it depends yeah. whether you're yeah. flavour of the month, really. Or how you dress or yeah, how you look. Sometimes yeah. it is. Yeah. Like, you know, sorry, people didn't like him because he looked a bit scruffy. Yeah. Well, he's, he's done something right. He's done quite well, yeah. Exactly. So it, it sometimes is whether your face fits a lot of the time and whether that's right. Well, it is wrong. What would you have done if you're sorry that Kepa Aretha Balaga didn't come off the the pitch in that game in the Europa, in the uh, League Cup final. It's difficult. I thought he managed it quite well in the end. Yeah. Um, because at the time when you're watching it, you're thinking, how has he not walked on the walked on the pitch and dragged him off? Yeah. Now I'm surprised one of the players didn't do that to be honest. Yeah. But that was a that's a that's the sort of thing they don't teach <laughs> on your pro license. That it's it's what do you do with that? But that doesn't club. I mean, Chelsea have won things, but it doesn't make sense for the the kind of. Um, 
the players to be running a club, does it? And effectively, to pull together and unite. You need the manager to have authority. Well, like I said to you a minute ago, ideally you've got a culture that it's not about the individual. Yeah. It's not about whether I drop you, it's not about me and you, whether I like you, whether I don't like you. It's about the 11. Yeah. So it's always about the 11. So as long as the 11 are winning, so you'd hope that you'd have a culture that he would accept that... You're fair, I suppose, so yeah. Well, I, I tell our players, I don't shake their hand when, I, when they come off the pitch. Yeah. Now, it's not because I don't respect them. It's because their ego will kick in instantly. Sure. So how many times you see... Or if you miss someone, they'll feel shy. Well, well it's... Yeah. it's you, you see a player... Stalk, they're not happy they've been taken off. So sometimes you see them and they'll take their shirt off and they'll throw it at the manager or the manager offers his hand and they'll throw his hand away. Yeah. Well, our players have been told. So I, I would go to the other side of the dugout and I'll, I'll maybe say something to them or well done yeah. or, or I'll just leave them alone. Yeah. Because at that moment, their ego kicks in. Yeah. So don't let don't let it get in the way of what's going on on the pitch because all at the time I've taken that player off because I think he's not doing very well. So I want my team to win. Well, I want the team to win, and if the team wins, we all win. Yeah. So again, it's, it comes back to the individual. Don't let it become. I think that's the, the key, individual. isn't it? Where any football teams that I played in or any workplace, it's about not thinking that the boss has favourites or people that are getting prejudicial treatment. I suppose. Well, I think I, I generally I think I, I say it as it is generally. Mm. So going back to the Chelsea thing, you would hope. Now, then it's different because I've never worked with players at that level that earn that money and their egos are that big. But he mm. turned the whole show about him. Yeah. It was nothing to do with the football team. It was all about him. Yeah. And that's that's when it becomes difficult then. And like you said, I thought Sarri dealt with it well the way he'd left him out for a game and then brought him back in. And yeah. it just hushed it all down. And he almost, he was very transparent and honest about the lack of power he had and just said, well, I'm here to coach the team, that's it. And yeah. didn't claim to be in charge of transfers or player contracts or anything like that. But, well, you can't imagine a goalkeeper at Man United with Sir Alex Ferguson doing that. No. Because you'd imagine the culture would have been set. Yeah. That you can't do that. Because if you do that, that's it, you're done. Yeah. You'll never play for the club again. Because he had that power that he would... You've questioned me in front of millions of people. <laughs> you're gone. Yeah. So that's... Again, it, it, it's always about culture. But it's it, people. It's the buzzword. People talk about culture and philosophy. Yeah. But it's not easy to, like you say, to get everybody's noses pointing in the same direction. Finally, I know you're busy. You've had a long day. Quickly, what, what have you learned from your life in football player and now as a, a fledgling manager? And what, how's it kind of, I guess, given to your life and, and maybe helped build your character and, and different aspects? Uh, I think I've learned that I've been lived a privileged life. Um, I've managed to do something that I've always wanted to do. Uh, and I've managed to get to 41. And mm. I've never had to work. Yeah. So to speak. Well, your brother worked in Little Chef in Burford. You didn't ever get no, tempted I, in there. I, I, never, I, I managed to just just survive. Yeah. Uh, I, I did have a job. I had a Sunday job in the co-op when I was 17, 18. Oh, okay. So that was That's £90 good. a month I was earning there. Yeah. But no, I've, I've, like I said, with the injury, I've, I've learned that it's brought me nice things. Um, I'm lucky now with the job now. My, my wife's from Cheltenham. The kids have been a good age. So, mm. so no matter what happens to me in Cheltenham now, I've managed to build a life and put my family where they want to be. So your family will stay here? No, they will. Yeah. That's it now. They'll, when I get sacked at some point, I'm sure I will. The family are settled now. That The big family network, it's allowed me to do that and put my family where I want to put them. Yeah. And then wherever football takes me, we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, more, more, more privileged really. Like you said, I, I've, the, the, the injury gave me an understanding of how lucky I am. Yeah. And now from then, I've got a new opportunity at a club that I know well. I've only had two clubs in 20-odd years. But I want to do well for the club. I've got to live in the town. Mm. So no matter when I leave, how I leave, if I get sacked, you know, act, yeah, in a I, certain way, I yeah. want to be able to leave the club knowing that it's in a better hands than what it was when I leave, well, when I took over. Yeah. And whether they sack me or not, I think the infrastructure will hopefully be better. The connection with the community, the connection with local um, Hartbury College and businesses will be better. 
but ultimately you've got to win. <laughs> now, I, hopefully I leave, we get promoted. It's a fickle and, world, isn't well, it? Yeah. It's, it is. Now that's that people might be saying, well, you're th- living in dream world. Yeah. I've got ideas of where I want to be in certain times and things like that, but end of the day, work hard. Because if I don't work hard, I've going to have to work. So, what, whatever you do, you're going to have to work hard. Yeah. So I think that is that is the key. So it's given me an opportunity to do things that I've always wanted to do. That's great. Well, it's a great career, great story as well. And Michael, I appreciate your time. No worries, mate.